Hello listeners, I'm Tamana from WhatFix and you're listening to the Digital Adoption Show Season 2, the podcast that walks and talks about the future of L&D, the sales enablement hacks, or what's happening around the world of L&D, and much more. So Season 2, Episode 6, features a surprise for you all. I will not name the person, but the topic of the discussion is the Starling Discovery Podcast. the future of workplace l&d in 2022 welcome you guys to the digital adoption podcast your one stop shop for anything related to learning and development today we have our esteemed guest donald taylor and ladies and gentlemen brace yourself the guest that we have today is special special of the sort that instead of the podcast we could just do his introduction the entire time and still run out of time So Donald Taylor is such a high profile veteran that he doesn't need an introduction but I'm still going to try and give him one and try to do justice to it. He's a veteran of learning, skills and human capital industries with experience at every level from delivery to being the chairman of the board. A recognized commentator and organizer in the field of learning technology. Donald is passionately committed to helping develop the learning and development profession. Some of his roles include Chairman of the Learning Technologies Conference and Associated Learnings Group, which is a virtual forum of about 4,000 learning professionals worldwide. Facilitator of the Learning Directors Network, which is another collection of some of the leading companies in the UK. Consultancy, advice to enterprises, startup helper, and so on. I can continue on and on, but Donald, why don't I turn it over to you on what have I missed here? You've missed that I also the chair of the Workforce Development Advisory Board at Emerge Education, which is a venture capital company uh, which does early seed funding for European, British and European companies in the edtech space, which is a very exciting place. But what I've done is I've stepped away in order to make more time for myself to focus on writing and research and on working with startups and making a bit more time to focus on Emerge Education. So that's Uh, as much as probably people want to hear about me i think it would be much more interesting to talk about the topic and get down to the podcast details rather than uh, hearing more about don taylor no absolutely i'm i'm with you don and thanks for being modest there as well there's just so much that we can continue to talk and the dynamics of what you've been contributing to the learning and development space is great uh, i am also quickly going to introduce myself because i think some of our podcast listeners are probably going to be hearing me and seeing me for the first time as well. Well, my name is Prakar Jain. I have about 12 years of industry experience as an ABP at Wattpick. I take care of global new business sales. I actually started as the first employee of the company that made me fortunate enough to see this journey of digital adoption grow as a category very very closely in the past 7 and 1/2 years. That's a little bit about me. Now we will jump right into the topic and we have tried to make it very interesting for you. and we want to make sure that you get the most recent developments and trends in the learning and development space our topic today is a startling discovery the future of workplace lnd in 2022 now while we jump into the topic maybe let's do a quick recap donald if you will around what has changed in the last two years with the pandemic come in and how has the space evolved every year i do this survey the global sentiment survey which looks at what's 
change or what people think is going to be hot in workplace learning and development. And I've done it for nine years now. This year, we had 3,500 people respond from 112 countries. So it's a fairly broad reach. The big thing that's changed over the past two years that the survey has picked up is that there has been much more emphasis on collaborative learning, which is unusual. What normally happens is on the survey, I put the survey out, and things are firstly very... Well, people get very excited about some of the options I give them, and then they get less excited over time, and things die away in terms of the number of votes they collect. That had happened to the option of collaborative learning, which had been very, very hot six years ago, but then it started to die away. But then last year and this year, it had a resurgence. It was coming back. There are lots of reasons that might be behind this, and it's very easy to jump in and suggest reasons for it. But I think the one clear reason is that undoubtedly, people have been doing more collaborative learning online using platforms like Zoom in particular, uh, also Microsoft Teams, in order to get people to share stuff with each other. But I don't think that's the all of it. I think it's also true that there's less interest in some of the other things which we look at. So while people are excited about collaboration, if I look at the answers that I gave people, the answers that people gave me to the question I asked this year, which is, what's your biggest challenge? The biggest challenge a lot of people said this year was engagement. This is a free answer, so I have to put things into categories. But the single biggest category was engagement. And the reasons for that were things like screen fatigue, Zoom fatigue, people being tired about being online all the time. And I think people see collaboration working together as an antidote to the idea of being always caught up with this business of, of having to do stuff online. So I think, I think it's a, something which has been a long time coming. I think it's a good thing. I'm not sure people are necessarily doing it as well as they could be doing it, but it's still a, a step in the right direction that collaborative learning is taking off. The other thing that's been taking off for the past two years against the pandemic is coaching and mentoring. I think, again, we've seen a shift towards people doing coaching and mentoring remotely via media such as uh, Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams. And I think also people have noticed that it's possible to do that with the support of technology so that it's possible to scale it in a way that wasn't before. So that, very exciting, but what we've got is a a medium that delivers, or a, a technique that delivers very high quality learning, coaching or mentoring, and does it now at greater scale than we've been able to do it in the past. That's very exciting. Very interesting, Donald. And, you know, the fact that you mentioned engagement being, you know, one of the biggest challenges, along with, of course, collaborative learning as one of the emerging trends. When I actually think about screen fatigue, that's real for all of us you know, just the number of hours in the last two years that we've all spent sitting on our yeah. laptops and computers and, you know, whether it's any form of learning, whether it's technology training, it's leadership, you're just discussing something related to behavioral process changes that are happening, chain management projects that used to run on whiteboards with, you know, massive plans have all got online. And while that has happened, and I think our leaders have well adjusted, you know, to the space and the changing needs of our current situation. One thing that has also happened is that it has, like you said, you know, collaboration 
has become like an antidote. And looking at that, what others would you say would be some of the other challenges? So like this is definitely one big one. Anything else that comes to your mind as some of the two other big challenges that you would say could be focused upon as well, or probably as a result of your global sentiment survey? The other big challenge, I mean, engagement is what people are talking about. But the other, I, can, I can name two other challenges, one of which is the technical challenge of moving to a hybrid or uh, online approach to training and learning, which is uh, not new, but is exacerbated by the fact that we have to do that now in an environment where people are working in a hybrid way. So people want to deliver face-to-face training, but they all also want to include people who are outside the office. And that becomes really complicated, much more complicated than... Uh, just doing either a face-to-face or an online event. Trying to do something which is both at the same time is really complex. But that's a detail. The the big challenge, which a lot of people mentioned and which I heartily agree with, is stakeholder enthusiasm. So having learner uh, engagement is one thing, but stakeholder enthusiasm for what you're doing is something else. People find it very difficult to get the data, the analytics, the influence to talk to stakeholders, to make them understand what they're doing is valuable. And if I was to sum all of that up, all of these three challenges, the engagement, the stakeholder enthusiasm, and the technical challenge of moving into a hybrid world where you've got uh, both online and face-to-face taking place at the same time, I think behind all three of those the key challenge is a challenge for the learning and development function to exert influence, influence with learners, influence with people at the higher ends of the organization. And that influence isn't necessarily something that comes naturally to learning and development people. So it's something which needs to be cultivated. It takes a different set of skills, knowledge, and attitudes to the natural knowledge, skills, and attitudes that people have in learning and development, which enable them to do their job. So what you need to do a great job with a learning program is not the same set of skills as what you need to influence people at the top of the organization. And the result is, I'm afraid, in in learning development, people don't develop those skills on the job. They have to develop them quite deliberately if they want to step up to a, a place of leadership and influence but i think it's essential we do do that in learning development if we don't we run the risk of missing an opportunity as we come out of covid to be much more influential in the business that is indeed insightful and donald one follow-up question that comes to mind in relation to that is that for all the lnd leaders who are actually listening to our podcast today how would you say that they overcome this change or adapt to this change Like you mentioned, two really key points. So one is the technical challenge because of the environment we are in and how much it has accelerated. And the second one is stakeholder enthusiasm, right? And like you said, uh, you know, I was reading a LinkedIn learning report that was actually mentioning that how learning is not an HR topic anymore. It's actually becoming a very unique topic, which is related to, you know, (coughs) the entire business stakeholders. And it's becoming more and more cross-functional than ever. 74% people of that survey were all talking about how L&D is not just an HR function. It's actually a business topic now. So what advice would you give to some of our listeners on that? I think it's true that learning 
learning is definitely a facet of human activity and a crucial thing that is cross-functional. Now, does that mean necessarily the learning and development department has as much influence as it should do? No, it doesn't, unfortunately, because unfortunately, we still labour in learning and development in, among employees, among executives and managers, we still labour under the assumption that training is like that stuff we did at school. It's not. Uh, learning is a, it's a multifaceted thing that human beings do. But we still tend to think, oh, yeah, if there's a problem, we'll do some training to fix it. That training should be in a course. The course could be online, could be in a classroom. None of those steps has any logical connection to each other. Not all, every performance issue needs to be solved with training or knowledge to begin with there can be other factors around it so i think for me in this environment that you've described where there's huge potential for learning and development for learning and development people to exploit it we need to adopt a different approach to how we deal with the business which is not to talk about learning but rather to talk about the business outcomes and in particular to go out and do what Nigel Payne calls field work. Go out and listen to people in the field, see what they do, see how they actually work, see what their real problems are. And that enables us to do two things. Firstly, to understand the business better and to use the right language to talk about it. But it also understands us, when we understand the business better, to understand how what we do can be improved in order to serve the business better. So there's lots of, lots of reasons for doing field work, the issue is that most people don't give themselves time to do it. So I would say, stop producing so many courses. That will give you time to go out and start learning more about what the business does. And that will give you, that's your first step on the way to becoming more influential. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And like, like you said, I think a lot is also to do with focus, being focused on the business outcomes and just you know, measuring the performance of a small course or, you know, small instructor-led module and looking at that. I think that's very, very important, like you rightly pointed out. So, sure, Donald, I think uh, that's... Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, please, please complete. I was going to say that you're right. Um, looking at the impact of a course or some materials or anything else that we do, because an activity could be, I don't know, getting people to talk together about something, which is not a course, but a way of doing collaborative learning. If we do that, I would caution against trying to find at the last, to the last dollar or the last rupee or the last pound or euro, the cost of what we did and the impact it had. Yes, sometimes that can be really useful. But generally, the cost of providing training is not negligible, but it is only ever a percentage of the impact that people's improved behavior has. I would focus less on the cost and the money involved, unless it's easily attainable, and much more on the behavior. So in conversation with people, managers and leaders in particular, finding out beforehand where are activities where's behavior not what you want it to be how does that contrast with what you want it to be and then once you've carried out some learning activities or supported people in their learning how does it change if it changes enough and you can go back to the people you were talking to and say look 
they were doing this, they're now doing this, which you wanted them to do, genuinely that's usually enough rather than having to go through some measurement process. I think measurement is useful, but it's not everything, and we shouldn't tie ourselves in knots around it. The most important thing is have conversations with the business where we understand what's the problem we're trying to solve. If that has to be measured, it has to be measured. If it doesn't have to be measured, how do we prove it otherwise? And that's the key thing, I think. So I just wanted to make that point. A lot of people in L&D get very tied up with ROI, return on investment, which is a precise accounting term. We're not really looking most of the time for return on investment. We're not making an investment in a bit of machinery, which then produces an improvement in performance. It's much more complicated than that. So I think in getting a clear view of did we meet the needs of the business, however it's expressed, is probably the right way to think about that. Yeah, that is golden. I think that is really good advice for a lot of people who are probably starting their careers in L&D as well and getting into management. So thanks a lot for that, Donald. Uh, let's actually shift gears, and I want to talk about you know Global Sentiment Survey a little bit as well. Because you've been doing that for nine years, and you've been sharing with the world about the future of workplace learning with this survey. Uh, and I know high level, you know, we briefly touched, and you mentioned that you discovered a couple of, you know, some learnings from it. Maybe can we take a step back for our learners and explain them what that is in the first place and how can organizations utilize it? The, the Global Sentiment Survey has been going, yep, for nine years, you're right. And I, I ask a very limited number of questions. I mean, this year was three questions, one obligatory, two voluntary. Every year I ask people, the obligatory question was the same, has been, which is what's going to be hot next year. I give them a list of 15 options plus another option, and they can fill that out. And I track what happens to these over the years. And each year I take off one or two, although increasingly it's one each year that I take off and I put something else on. My advice in terms of making good use of it, and by the way, so there's a report I do, I haven't done it, didn't do it for the first four years, but I then started doing reports and they are pretty useful. My advice on how to make good use of it is to not to imagine that it provides answers. It provides answers to some things. What is more popular this year than that? Does Europe believe that personalization is more important than collaboration? No, actually, it's about the same in Europe. What about the UK? Well, in UK, collaboration is more important than personalization, and in the US, it's the other way around. Fine, okay, so it answers some things. But actually, the most useful thing I find, and I do, I will do a series of presentations each year after the report comes out, very often talking to particular countries about what's happened with their, in their geography and trying to understand why things are different and unique in each place. And I think that that's where the value comes. If you get hold of the report, sit down with your colleagues, go through it, see if you agree, see if you disagree. Maybe your colleagues are inside your business, maybe they're outside your business. Try to work out if some of the things that are happening are unique to your country or to your area or perhaps just to your local environment. And it's a great stimulus for having conversations. I find every time I do a presentation, I learn something from the audience because everyone chips in with their views about why things are in a particular way. A classic example is that Sweden in the past has always voted collaborative learning very high. There's a strong cultural tradition behind that in Sweden. But this year, it was the highest vote ever for reskilling upskilling, 17%. And I said to them, why on earth has the vote changed in, in Sweden? And the woman I was chatting with just held up a book. She said, look, the, the reason is this book. Uh, per Lager printed this, published this book called 
I think it was called Upskill Oc Reskill. And that was about three months before the survey came out. So what happened is the survey came out, everyone was talking about this book, and the words were in their head, thinking about it was in their head, so it shifted it. So there may be good local reasons why something is different. Have a conversation with your colleagues, work it out. And I think those conversations are where the value is. I always say that my role in the learning and development community is not really to provide answers, it's to provide a space for useful conversations. And if I can do that remotely by providing a report that gets people to think about things, talk about it, I'm very happy. That definitely helps. And looking at some of the results of the survey, I, I think you highlighted for us earlier as well that collaborative learning and social learning was one of the key ones. But of course, these could change depending on certain regional sentiments as well from one place to another. And you did mention that the respondents were from 100 countries and about 3,500 people who actually responded to this. Yeah. Got it. 112 Great. countries. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's something. Well, well, we helped this year because I had a big, a big focus on Africa, and huh. there are over, over 50 countries in Africa. So if you have a focus on one continent with so many countries, then you're going to get more countries participating. Previously, I think it was 90 was the highest number, something like that. Very interesting. And based on that, Donald, I know, you know these results, like you said, can be very, very regional as well, based on mm -hmm. certain parameters. But globally, if you had to give you know, your opinion, what should organizations, whiteboards for 2022 contain? While more and more people are planning their agenda, there's still certain technologies and initiatives people want to focus on, especially companies who are actually starting their year now. Any organization that wants to work effectively in the future has to find some way to understand what its people can do. Now, you can do that via a reasonably large change management project involving skills management. You can do it simply by getting managers to talk to people regularly about what they can do and what they could do. It doesn't matter the mechanism exactly. What does matter is that they put people's abilities and the, their skills at the heart of the organization. Because increasingly, and this is across the world, increasingly, what differentiates organizations is not the technology, but it's the intellectual property they have and the people they have that make the intellectual property. Uh, everything else may give you an edge for a year or two. You have a new bit of technology, perhaps you're ahead of the, comp the competition for a short while. But after a bit, that becomes commoditized. They get access to it or something like it. And you're back on a level playing field. And the thing that differentiates you is your people. And that's why understanding what your people can do and what they want to do and what they would like to do tomorrow and have honest conversations about it is, I, for me, it's the thing that should be on every organization's agenda for 2022. That is golden. I think a lot of the LND leaders listening to it have, are probably making some copious notes here because this, this will help them a lot. And, you know, from a technology perspective, Donald, you know, just sort of elaborating a or going a little bit deeper in the trends that are changing and how, like one of the components I noticed on your global sentiment survey list was micro learning as well. So I wanted to probably throw some light on that for our listeners as well. Mm. That while that becomes, I see that there's no specific change from the last year, I think, in terms of, the trends yep. and it has actually, you know, stayed at the same level. But how do you think organizations can use new technologies to build a better workplace? Good 
the technology will always be secondary to the people. And I know I say this, I, it might sound strange, given that I work in a technical environment. And I've been working in and around technology since I started working in 1981. But the technology will always be secondary to the people. So I don't believe that we do, to take your question very literally, I don't think we use new technologies to build a better workplace. I think we use new technologies to support initiatives to create a better workplace. It's a very subtle difference. But what I'm saying is that buying the technology doesn't sort the problem out. What we need to do is have the right leaders in place, the right managers who care about people and who work with people to develop themselves, and the technology then supports that. So, to go back to what I was saying earlier, but the idea that on your agenda for this year, you should have a look at what your people can do and how you can support them in doing that. There are technologies that can help you do that. It could be as simple as an Excel spreadsheet. It could be as complicated as a comprehensive enterprise-wide skills-based talent management system. But some technology to help you do it is invaluable because the more you are able to support yourself in that, the less administration there is and the more data you have to look at to understand where you're going and what capabilities your organization has. I would add that when we are, if we're being honest about managers looking after people and supporting them, we have to be able to let them go. And that's nothing to do with technology, it's just something about a better workplace. And if you've ever managed people, you'll know that at some point you've got somebody on your team who's good and they get to a point whereby there is nothing left for them to do in the organization. Maybe there is no position that comes open, maybe it's a very flat organization, they can't go anywhere. I think it's very important for organizations to accept that and to say, you know what, Jane, Aziz, Mohammed, Bob, thank you for what you've done. You, you, you could keep working here forever. It's not going to happen. I understand you want to leave or go with our blessing. We hope that you'll come back in the future or at least you'll go out and tell people what a great organization this is. It's very difficult to do that. And I've had to do that in the past myself often uh, because part of a manager's job is to develop people. It's part of a manager's job to get people to the stage whereby they are no longer ready for that job they're in because they're ready for the next job. And if their next job isn't right. there, they should leave the company. It's, <laughs> it sounds counterintuitive, but where we're going in the future is to a world where increasingly there's a rapid interchange. We don't have people working for our companies for life. They are working for us for a period. They go out and then they come back or they encourage other people to come to us. And those people, if they're going to leave anyway, which they are, if they're going to leave anyway, it is much better they leave as good ambassadors for the company with the thought they might come back with their skills in the future and telling other people what a great place it is to work than they leave in a negative way and spreading bad news about the company. So that's slightly... So it sounds like a slightly weird tangent. You asked me about technology. I'm talking about how you manage people. But my man, what I'm saying here is that there is a reality about the, rap, the increasing churn of employees in the future and the way indeed we engage with people in the future that says, for me, a better workplace relies on technology that supports people in doing this. So your managers, your recruitment staff, and everybody else have to have the technology to support them in a world where we're not recruiting people for jobs that they're going to stick into for five years. They may be with us for two years before they go on to something else. And we need to accept that 
and be positive about it and make it a good experience for them. So again, the people is where it starts. Let's get the technology to support the people and the modern reality of how people learn. Uh, sorry, how people work. That is one great perspective, I must say, Donald. Never heard of anything like this, and that's quite visionary as well, I would say. Like, you know, exactly to your point, the great resignation is real. People had everything they wanted, right? Yeah. Still, people are yeah. churning and shifting jobs and moving from one company to another, and half the leaders are now worried about that, how do we ever get to our plans? Because now we are all focused on hiring. But I think to exactly to your point, if the problems were actually solved in the first place, then you know, most of the companies would actually have happy employees and this would not even happen. Or in a lot of cases, you know, if companies don't close doors on their employees, the employees actually come back. And that, that's Absolutely. a big trend as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's really insightful. And, you know, the way to look at, I, I really like your sentiment around that it's always people first and technology is there to support people, help them do their jobs better yeah. and, you know, help them get to the next level. And I think that becomes so important. And sometimes that gets missed when, you know, the technologies are just looked upon as that, hey, let's solve a short-term problem by throwing a technology at it. And then it leads to more problems and solutions. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's got to, you have to have your, your principles and your aims in mind and get the technologies to support that rather than just hoping, yes, as you say, to have a quick fix. That's not going to sort anything out in the long Absolutely. run. Absolutely. That's great, Donald. I think one final question on this one. There are a lot of young leaders who are actually listening to our podcast as well. What advice would you give them? This is some advice that Tom Peters, the management guru, would also give people. I, I follow him on Twitter and he's, he's quite a prickly character, but he talks a lot of sense. I, I would say try out the original virtual reality, by which I mean go and read a book of fiction. Because... The original virtual reality book of fiction is a wonderful thing. You read a book, a storybook about something, and you open it up, and immediately you are somewhere else. And not only are you somewhere else, but you're experiencing other people's emotions, directly and indirectly. You're, you're with the protagonist. You know what he or she is feeling. You know what other people in the book are feeling. And when you finish that book, you come out of it a slightly different person. Now, it might cost you in the UK, let's say £10 for a book. It's not overly expensive to go through this experience. And it can be a completely life-changing thing. You do enough of it and you start understanding more about other people's perspectives and how other people see the world. And that's got to be a profoundly good thing. Now, of course, you can do this in other ways. You can go, go out and just talk to people and listen to them. You can go out and travel and understand other people's perspective. That's brilliant. Um, some of those are time-consuming. Some of it's quite expensive. Buying a book and reading it in bed at night or on the sofa in the evening is a relatively inexpensive way of going to new and different worlds. So I would recommend doing it because you can always learn lots of things, and you should do. But the most important thing you can learn is that other people see the world differently from you and it's worthwhile trying to, if not bend to that, at least be aware of it in how you act. So that's my advice to the younger generation. Go and read some fiction. Made some notes and I'm going to do that as well, Donald. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Tell me, let, me know which, let me know which book you choose. For sure, for sure I will. This has been very insightful for our listeners, I can say, and I'm sure there are going to be some requests we're going to get 
to have you on this podcast soon again. I want to wrap this up, Donald, by making it fun for our listeners. And okay. you know, three rapid fire questions for you very quickly. And you've got to answer them taking a few seconds. So the first one is, here it goes. What is the most embarrassing thing you accidentally messaged to someone? I, a long time ago, I used to work as a, as a, a sub-editor on a magazine. And so I am very used to always reading something before I send it. So I, I don't tend to send bad messages accidentally. But you can send a message to the wrong person. So I, 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 and I don't think this is uncommon. I would say I love you to my wife and yeah, it's a nice sign off. But of course, you can send it to the wrong person. So I, I've, I've done that only once. Fortunately, it was to somebody who I could explain that I was actually meaning to message my wife. And it was a she, but she was okay that it, I wasn't telling her that I loved her. So I got out of that one okay. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. So I, I, I'm relieved that I... I, it, it's it's a terrible thing. You could get, you could do an awful lot of it. I don't message a lot. I do check it. It was a, it was a safe one. Thank goodness. Can happen to anyone, Donald. Yeah, that yeah. does sound fun. Great. In one word, what is the greatest challenge you faced this year, or maybe last year? Prioritization, because there's so much going on. You can't do everything. You have to focus on a few things and try to do them well rather than do lots of things poorly. So I don't, I never succeeded that really, but it's, it's my challenge and I, I just have to keep trying my best each year to overcome it. What's the last thing you did or you made that you're proud of? You might expect me to say the global sentiment survey and I do like the report that I get out, you might say it's the a conference, which is an event which I'm in charge of. But honestly, with these things, I say to myself that each year we strive for perfection. Each year we fail. We hope in the effort to reach perfection, we at least stumble across excellence. But am I really proud of it? Yes, I'm proud of it. But it's just work. I think the, the thing that I'm most proud of being and the thing I'm most proud of having some part in, in creating is my two children. I'm lucky enough to be a father of two great kids, 24 and, and 20 now. And uh, I don't mean this to sound disrespectful because not everybody is capable of having children or wants to. But for me personally, that is the most, the thing which I'm easily most proud of. And if, if I hadn't done anything else in my world, having been there far and watched them grow up and helping them grow up has been easily the best thing in my life. That is very sweet. And Donald, that's great. Again, once again, it was indeed our pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Uh, thank you for everything that you do for the community out there. I've personally been a part of the Learning Technologies Conference. I know how massive that is and brings people <laughs> from all over the world. I've loved the experience and we look forward to having you on the podcast sometime soon again. If you are welcome, if you wish to have me, I'm delighted to come back. Thank you so much. I hope to see you at Learning Technologies in London soon. Thanks a lot.